Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, where we explore pervasive and emerging technologies and their influence and impact on society. In this series, we upload direct to you information, opinions, and insights from thought leaders, experts, and creatives from Austin and beyond. They'll share their perspectives through conversations, interviews, debates, discussion, and more. I'm Jay. I'm John. And I'm Huli. And we co-produce the upload for the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. Hello and welcome to the Austin Forum Upload. I'm co-producer John Lockman, and today I'm interviewing Patrick Curry. Hi, Patrick. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Excellent. Patrick is a veteran video game developer with Farbridge, where he has been pushing the envelope on virtual reality, gaming, and other environments. So, Patrick, can you tell me a little bit about where you came from and how you got here? Sure thing. Uh, I've been a lifelong uh, video game player and obsessy. Um, and, you know, from, from the earliest days, I've been obsessed with bright lights and moving pictures and trying to sit as absolutely close to the television as possible until I just got right up into virtual reality and shoved screens right on my eyeballs. And uh, as soon as I got a hold of a computer, I started trying to take it apart and figure out how it worked and figure out how I could make software in, in virtual reality for myself on it. Growing up here in Austin, uh, I got exposed to a ton of, uh, you know, great technologies, you know, attended early South by Southwest multimedia conferences and, you know, got to see some of the earliest arcades and virtual reality arcades happen here in the 90s. And, and it was amazing. It was super fascinating. You know, as a teenage boy, I was obsessed with, you know, the sense of escape. And so for me, virtual reality was a, a real way to escape. I could get into these computers and into these other worlds. And so I was obsessively reading Neuromancer and watching Tron and, you know, wanting that for myself. So I like to joke that, you know, instead of daydreaming about a Trans Am, I was daydreaming about getting into virtual reality. And, and you know, in the 90s, virtual reality was, was super exciting. It was super promising, uh, but it just wasn't ready and it just didn't happen for us then. And so I spent about 20 years of my career making uh, internet software, making video games, uh, you know, honing my craft there. And so when a few years ago it started looking like virtual reality was going to happen again, like there could be an actual market, an actual industry for this, I started really putting most of my time and nearly all of my money towards being a, being a part of that here in Austin. Yeah, that's cool. I do I do remember playing some of those games in the 90s. Um, I remember playing Dactyl Nightmare, and maybe a couple of others like the uh, there was the pool game where you were the virtual queue. Um, I remember that one, the first person pool game where you got to be the pool ball. Every every how every exciting. teenage boy's fantasy. You get to be the ball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, those seemed like they were a lot of fun, albeit very expensive for the time. They were you were paying three, five dollars for a two minute gaming experience when you could be, you know, paying a quarter at the next machine. Absolutely. Um, what was it that really caused the failure of those setups in the 90s? Yeah, I, I think the earliest virtual reality experiences were, were very experimental. And we forget just how radically new every component uh, of virtual reality was in the 90s. You know, this is before Toy Story has come out, right? So people aren't even making uh, fully animated 3D films yet. And they're trying to make real-time 3D graphics. And so, you know, real-time 3D graphics are new. These motion controllers is like, a, that's a ridiculous notion. They're going to be able to accurately track your position and where you're looking and show you something in a video game as if you were really there. Uh, and, you know, the computers weren't necessarily uh, up to it. And, you know, uh, a lot of it was put together with uh, chewing gum and duct tape. 
And so it just wasn't industrialized. And by then, arcades had had 20 years to really become mainstream and become an industry. And so, you know, the Street Fighter machine or the virtual racing game next to it, which wasn't actually in VR. It was just, you know, using 3D graphics very early. Um, they were much more polished and more honed and, and more stable experiences. And, and the VR machines were, were always breaking down and, you know, occasionally having smoke billow out of them of course. back in the 90s. Uh, but, but luckily, you know, things are, are looking, uh, you know, much more, much more common, much easier, much, much cheaper and, you know, much more likely to go mainstream this time. Yeah, I do remember the smoking machines. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think are the biggest technological advancements that are making virtual reality actually happen today that didn't make them happen 10 to 15 years ago? Yeah, the fascinating thing about computing is that every year computers get smaller, faster, and cheaper. And you see this from, you know, the earliest computers were as large as this room, you know, the size of several refrigerators and costing millions of dollars and when they shrunk down to the size that could fit on a desk in the 70s and 80s, that was that was a big deal. And then when you can take a computer with you and fit it into your backpack, they got even smaller and lighter. That that was that was huge. And we, you know, now we all have laptops. And, and you jump forward today, we all carry a supercomputer or two around in our pockets. You know, whether it's a smartphone or a smartwatch. And so those advancements of making computers smaller, lighter, cheaper, using less less heat and less power has all made virtual reality more possible. For very practical reasons, you know, in, in the 90s, when you put on a virtual reality helmet, it was literally a helmet. Um, it cost or it weighed several pounds, you know, 20, 50 pounds. It had CRT monitors, which are basically mini televisions on them. Uh, and all of that sits on your head. And if you play for 15 minutes, you're going to walk out with a, a crick in your neck. Uh, and now, um, you know, virtual reality is much more like glasses or goggles. You know, they look like like ski goggles in a lot of cases. They're fairly lightweight. They use smartphone screens, which are very high resolution, like retina screens. You know, a lot of them are battery powered. They're not even wired anymore. You're not tethered to, to a computer. And, and they're not hot, you know. like the, If you've ever been snorkeling or scuba diving, the worst thing that can happen is your mask fog up, and it just ruins the whole experience. You can't, you know, you're there to see cool stuff. And the same goes for virtual reality. If you're if your virtual reality goggles are fogging up because it's a hot, sweaty computer in there, uh, you have a bad time. So, so the fact that we've cut down on uh, heat and size and weight have all made virtual reality more practical. Uh, and it's less expensive, which is going to make it more and more common uh, every year going forward. So screen refreshes have also really helped that out uh, with eye strain. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I, I don't know what frame rate Dactyl Nightmare ran at, but it was probably somewhere in the 15 to 20 frames a second. And to, to give you a reference point, you know, most films are at, you know, uh, 24 to 29 frames a second. Television runs around 30 frames a second. Uh, your computer refresh rate is even much faster. And so that, that's how many times you're seeing a new picture in front of you. And it turns out that when you have a screen very close to your eyes, uh, like in virtual reality, it has to be updating very quickly. Uh, otherwise, you can have uh, artifacts that either blow the immersion and make you feel like you're not really there, or worse, cause motion sickness. And so the target for a really believable virtual reality experience is 90 frames a second. That means the computer is drawing 90 different pictures based on what you're looking at and what you're doing every second. Uh, and that, that, that's, a, that's an amazing feat. You just think about what the computer is doing to pull that off. And, uh, you know, I know how most of that works, and even I marvel at it. Gaming still seems to be one of the biggest drivers in virtual reality today. Absolutely. Um, 
how long should I wait for my next rig? You know, gamers, gamers are funny. They always want like the next best thing. Like, hey, when's the new one coming out? You know, I don't um, want what's today. I no, want tomorrow. Exactly. You know, the good news about VR is that um, we're still in an experimental phase. So there's new cool stuff coming out all the time. So my best advice is probably like find a friend who's a big gadget head and go over to their house and try out whatever VR they've bought recently. Um, I, I think the really good news, though, is that we're starting to leave the hobbyist price points where virtual reality cost a thousand or two thousand or three thousand dollars to really get into to a couple hundred dollars. So this year, Oculus released the the Oculus Go headset, um, and and we, we we make software for it at Farbridge, and it, it's really cool because it's completely self-contained. It doesn't require a computer or a PlayStation or a smartphone. It's a $200 device, and once you buy it, you just get virtual reality in it. And it's a really good experience. It's not the highest end, most premium virtual reality you're going to ever get, but it's really good. And a lot of people who know and whose opinion I respect are saying, yeah, this is good enough. And so, you know, it's my hope that, that the Oculus Go and devices like that are, are the stocking stuffers for, for this holiday season. That's good. I hope they will be the stocking stuffers, at least at least in my stocking. I will probably be stocking some s- stuffers with them, s- stuffing some stockings with them. That's the one. That's the phrase. <laughs> so beyond gaming, um, what other industries are you most excited about that virtual reality is jumping into right now? I, I'm excited about all industries where virtual reality is applicable. I mean, I'm, I'm a computer nerd and a lifelong video gamer. And so, of course, I, I like video games. I love video games in virtual reality. But the notion of, of 3D graphics, of simulation, of, of taking you to other places, which is really what I think virtual reality is best at. It, it's, it, it's really good at convincing you that you are standing and looking and seeing uh, and hearing somewhere else. You know, that could be anything. You know, uh, we work on educational software for VR at Farbridge. And so we've made apps that let you explore Mount Rushmore and, you know, stand right next to the faces of the presidents that are carved in the rock and you know that's not like a normal part of the tour and that's pretty cool for us that through virtual reality we can take you somewhere that you can't really get easily but it could just as easily be uh used for space exploration you know can we train the next generation of astronauts what it's like to explore the moon or explore mars in a believable realistic way Um, or could we train the next generation of doctors with virtual reality you know you think about uh the human body it's absolutely a 3d form and you know using modern imaging technologies like CT scans and MRIs, could we let doctors do more accurate surgeries or just more accurate planning through a virtual reality that, that actually lets them see and interact with, with the body in ways that, that aren't practical uh, in real life? Kind of like a, imagine a living x-ray in real time. That, that's pretty cool. That gets me pretty excited about virtual reality. That is cool. Definitely to see the, the medical aspect and how that can be implemented in a lot of different ways from training all mm-hmm. the way through what, what other possibilities do you think you see there? Well, I'm not an MD. I'll, I'll let my sister talk to that one. Um, but, but something that, that she told me about med school is that cadavers are actually very expensive. You know, you think about people who donate their bodies to science, you know, that's an important part of the learning process for, for new doctors. And so I, I imagine you could have a, a virtual cadaver that could be reused a million times because it's just software. Yeah. And, you know, you can perform a kidney transplant on a virtual uh, a virtual body a million times, whereas when you're practicing on a cadaver, you can only do that once or twice. Right. So, yeah, that that's very exciting to me. And, 
And, you know, without sounding too, you know, pie in the sky, I really think that there are new good uses and outcomes for virtual reality that we just don't know yet. We're still so early in this industry that, you know, we're actively looking for uses and we're looking for ways for this to be a good thing for society, for our city, for our communities. And and that's exciting to me because it is also new. And even though I've been obsessed with it for 20 years, I feel like I still know relatively little about what, what all it will encompass and what all is possible. So there's a lot of hype right now with uh, the recent release of Ernie Klein's Ready Player One. Yes. Um, If you're a classic, maybe you're more interested in Snow Crash. But people are once again talking about, hey, this is really cool. These these worlds that we can escape out of Mm -hmm. or into. Yeah. Um, Maybe Second Life comes back. Who knows? Sure. Um, When do you think we start living in the Oasis? Well, I think there's a lot of really cool things going on in virtual communities right now. There's probably a dozen groups that are really focused on uh, creating interesting virtual reality places that you can go to interact with other people. So uh, we have a project we call Farcade, and that's all about making virtual reality arcades where you can play video games with your friends and, and definitely inspired by things like, like Dactyl Nightmare. Um, another group here in Austin is the Wave VR, and these are friends of ours, and they're working on making a concert venue. So instead of going to a dirty old warehouse on the east side to go to a rave, uh, you're going to the Wave, and it's a concert venue, and your friends are there. And so you're not dancing and partying alone. You're actually hanging out and dancing and listening to music or even playing music with friends. And, and I think that those experiences are, are really the next wave of virtual reality, if, you're, if you'll forgive the pun. Um, because while VR is super great at taking you to other places, those places get much more interesting and much cooler if there's other people there. You know, of course. If I can interact with you, if I can see an old friend you know, who lives across the country through virtual reality, you know, that's going to make that experience that much more fun, that much more memorable. Um, and also, you, know, you have the potential for you know, real, meaningful human interactions and connections. Uh, and so, you know, maybe the next thing is going to be the the virtual doctor's office, where instead of being in a waiting room for half an hour, I'm at home until my VR helmet beeps and I, I put it on and then the doctor can see me and I can point to him and, you know, where my arm is scraped up and I can get a diagnosis and, and be on my way uh, all through the comfort of my own home. And sure. things like that are very, very exciting to me. That is exciting. How do you think that VR is going to shape our future? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, like I said, I really hope we find great applications for good. Uh, there's tons of headlines about nefarious uses of technology and spyware and better advertising. And, uh, you know, that that's not my bag. That's not where I want to spend my time. I, I'm looking for the software and experiences that are going to inspire people, uh, educate people, make them feel more connected. I think now more than ever, uh, even with all the technology that we have and all the social media that we have, people are feeling lonelier than ever. And so if we can use this technology to connect them uh, and get them more together, then then that's a good thing. And, and for me, virtual reality has had that that impact, not, not strictly through technology, but just in finding my fellow VR nerds. I had an amazing experience where I had played, um, someone had recreated a, a scene from The Matrix. So The Matrix, one of my most favorite action films, they had remade a scene from The Matrix in virtual reality. And of course, Matrix is sort of about virtual reality, so it was perfect. It was very meta, and I'd been playing it, and I I had been showing it to all my friends, and I'd been going to parties and showing it to people. I was really obsessed with it. 
And I was at another party and after that, and I was telling a group of people, it's like, yeah, you guys have got to try this Matrix VR thing. And one of the guys who'd been standing there kind of quietly nodding goes, yeah, I made that. Uh, <laughs> and since then, you know, it's this guy, Eric Bale, he's here in Austin. He's an amazing artist and, and creative guy. And uh, he had just made it in his spare time with a friend of his. And since then, we've become great friends. And so I've, I've literally made new friends and really connected with people who have had a similar passion and obsession with virtual reality uh, just through this great community that we have here in town. And, you know, we're still very excited about it and in working together to, to make it be a fun and, and hopefully good thing. That's great. That sounds like uh, you've got a lot of a lot of plans for the future. Where do you want to see virtual reality go in the next five or 10 years? It is going to be a really interesting few years for virtual reality. You know, um, you know, virtual reality and its cousin augmented reality are, are really on a collision course. And I don't mean that in a negative way. You know, th these technologies are just good at, at slightly different things. So if, if virtual reality is good at, you know, you put on goggles and you go somewhere else, I think augmented reality, which is, you know, usually thought of as, you know, goggles or glasses that you can still see through them, but then you can see other things, you know, digital imagery there. Um, I think augmented reality or AR is good at bringing other things to you. So, you know, virtual reality, I put on a headset, I can go to Mars. Well, augmented reality, I can put on goggles or hold up a phone and, you know, now I have Pokemon running around in the world with me, like from Pokemon Go. And it's very similar sets of technologies. You know, some people want to start like a arm wrestle between VR and AR. And for me, I just think of it as it's one big industry. There's uh, one big continuum of technologies there's more than enough interesting problems for us all to solve. And so I, I think we could end up with glasses that uh, that can do both. And you could have glasses that you wear them most of the day. And every now and then they give you reminders about, you know, your upcoming anniversary or, you know, driving directions, very useful information. Uh, you could switch them into game mode and then you have Pokemons or, you know, Wreck-It Ralph running around with you in the real world. And then if you want to really go somewhere else, you flip down the visor and then you're you're in Mars or you're in a, a Buddhist temple doing a, a relaxation meditation before bed. And, you know, I think that these these smart glasses are, are fairly inevitable. Um, we've had some false starts, like most technologies, you know, Google Glass, probably the most famous. Um, but I, I think they will happen. And, and I think instead of carrying, you know, two iPhones and a smart watch with me, I could end up just just carrying around one pair of smart glasses that can do this whole spectrum of VR, AR, mixed reality, right. X reality, what, whatever you want to call it. Just next this, reality. Next reality. Exactly. We'll call it next reality until we decide it's not next anymore. And it's just here. So I, I'm still very excited about that, that long-term merging of these industries, but, but I don't know how, how soon that's going to happen. So beyond medical type applications, there has to be a lot of extreme situation training things that could be possible with virtual reality. Would Have you worked with any of these sorts of situations yet? I, I agree. There's a ton of potential there. We're exploring different types of training, um, but some of the training applications for virtual reality that I think are most important is training where there's an element of danger, right? So you could imagine uh, you need to train firefighters to uh, be calm and relaxed in a, in a scenario where they're fighting a fire and it's very dangerous. And you, you can give people these experiences that, that look and sound real or realistic. 
um, and, and help them keep their cool. I think you could also explore de-escalation. You know, um, you know, we don't need our police officers to respond to every scenario by, by pulling their weapons. And, you know, if, if we could put people into different scenarios with, you know, places and people that they're not used to or not used to confronting, uh, maybe we could have, uh, you know, less violent responses, uh, you know, from, from, from all participants. Um, and I also think there's an, an interesting angle around emotional danger. You know, virtual reality is a place where you can very safely and securely explore different topics. So could you do PTSD therapy um, where you're, you know, with a counselor and with a trained therapist exploring and reliving uh, elements from your past that, that might be traumatic or very troubling for you, but do it in a safe and secure way? And I think that's very interesting. I think that's we're just starting to explore the realm of possibilities in virtual reality where we can really take you to different places or even different times in your life and, and have you play out these scenarios in different ways. And, you know, that, that's very exciting to me. And we need to be very careful about the experiences that we do put people into and, and how and why, you know, not all these scenarios are things that you should do for fun and they shouldn't be framed as, as video games. Um, but, you know, the same goes for, for any software, you know, uh, software is a very powerful tool and we want to use it uh, in a responsible way. So a topic these days is screen time and how much time people are actually spending in front of screens. Sure. How do you approach that in a virtual reality world? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to take that that definitely seriously. Um, you know, we need to be aware as parents and guardians of what content our kids are consuming and what, what the values are and what the messages are and, and ultimately what, what they're taking away from it, whether it's, you know, spending time in virtual reality or just spending time on YouTube and, you know seeing all sorts of random content there. You know, virtual reality is, is fascinating, you know, seeing, uh, seeing kids play with it because they take to it so naturally. You know, they've grown up with so much technology. For them, 3D graphics isn't, isn't a marvel. It's not this unique thing. They get it. They know how these things work. Um, and so I find it fascinating to watch my kids and, and other kids play virtual reality. Um, but also, you know, we don't know. And I think that, you know, we need to keep an eye on this and we need studies and academic studies uh, to see what what's appropriate, where the lines are, what are the do's and don'ts for for children and really any any group, you know, um, I think virtual reality could be amazing in nursing homes to let people escape, uh, you know, their day to day there and go to other wonderful, marvelous places and have adventures. Um, but there could be medical ramifications for that too, and so I think we need to treat this like a new medium, treat it seriously, um, research the effects, and uh, and you know behave ethically and responsibly. Uh, with this newfound power. So where's my holodeck? <laughs> you know, actually, so it's funny you mentioned the holodeck because uh, my friend Eric, who made the Matrix VR uh, with our other friend Tibet Tat, and I've gotten to know both of these guys. So Eric and I were in Los Angeles recently and we went to The Void. And The Void is a chain of arcades that are opening that are really the closest thing we can get to a holodeck right now. And we went through an experience where we put on gear and we became stormtroopers in a Star Wars universe. And we went on a mission together and we could see each other and interact with each other and interact with these places that felt very real. And it, it, it's one of the most powerful experiences I've had in virtual reality. And I've been trying out as much of it as I can absolutely get my hands on. And it's a very unique, very curated experience. You know, you had to go to this building that was built out for it and use their custom hardware. So they have Disney Imagineers that have designed the yes. building. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's... Yeah. So they're working with Disney and Imagineering on, on projects like this. 
and it's it's really fascinating. It's really promising. Um, we're not going to have the holodeck in our home quite yet, but I'm literally telling everyone that I meet lately. Okay, if you're in LA, you have to do that. Next time we're there, we're going to go. I want to take my friends. I want to take my coworkers. Uh, it was really cool. I came back with a bunch of swag. Uh, I, I'm a big fan. All right, Patrick Curry, thank you so much for coming on to the Austin Forum Upload. Do you have anything else you want to say before we end? Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been super fun to talk about some of my favorite topics. Um, if you want to learn more about virtual reality here in Austin, check out vraustin.org. Uh, that's our nonprofit group. We organize events, game jams, we basically throw cool VR parties all the time here in town. Uh, and if you want to learn more about Farbridge and the software that we've made, you can visit us at farbridge.com. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.